Welcome to the Rough Road Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Steele. Today, I am joined by Austin McNaughton. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, Lee. My name is Austin. Um, I've lived here in Mesa for most of my life. I did do quite a bit of moving around, but uh, graduated high school from here and know the East Valley very well, and glad to be here. Where'd you graduate from? Mountain View. Nice. Yeah, I'm go Toros. <laughs> nice. So. so you played sports too, I assume. I did. I played a little bit of football and uh, and uh, did a little bit of track. What was your favorite? Um, neither. I really liked baseball and uh, had a father that saw different, and so I was encouraged. <laughs> strongly um, encouraged. Strongly encouraged. Yeah, strongly directed. So, nice. but uh, no, I uh, I played a little football and I was able to take it into a little bit of college <coughs> experience and where at. Scottsdale Community College. Nice. Yeah, so I didn't, uh, wasn't a big timer, I guess you'd say, but I, <laughs> I was able to ride it a little bit, so. How many years did you play at, at college? I only played one season. I actually uh, served an LDS mission, and then when I came back from my mission, I experienced a back injury that I was able to recover from and just chose to be done. Right. I had been out of it for long enough. Where it was like, eh, How'd you long. hurt your back? I came out and uh, a little too flat in a blocking sled. And uh, I hit it and had a compression injury in my oh. back, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't too severe. Was it like a sprain, or was it an actual like a bulge disc situation, or what was it? You know what? I, I really don't. don't I don't really know. I, all I know is that uh, it hurt. It hurt really <laughs> well. And uh, I fortunately have a a family member who's a chiropractor, and he was able to work on me and get me back to where I needed to be. But then you just it just eh, yeah, it's ain't just time. It. Yeah, it was time to go on. So nice. I've had yeah. compression. I've had a compression sprain for, and that's worse than a normal sprain. So, no fun. I, yeah, compression sprain, compression injuries are not fun. So, not at all. Anyway, the reason you're here, what, uh, what experiences have you had that uh, can benefit everyone? Well, you know, um, again, thank you for letting me be here. Uh, March uh, 23rd of 2017 marked a very significant experience in my life. Um, it's the day my dad passed away. Um, but the circumstances in which he passed were unique and uh, very tough to deal with. And I imagine that there's other people out there who have, may have had similar. Right. Um, but I care to talk about it. Um, you know, I, I, I really admire the openness in, in your past podcasts and people willing to share, um, things that they were able to leverage. And, uh, and, uh, I feel like I've had some very fortunate helps in my life that have, have done this. Uh, in order to kind of draw a picture for you, I think I need to kind of step back a few years and explain who my dad was. Okay. My father uh, was larger than life. Um, I have a little saying that I've created for myself, uh, and, and this is the best way I can describe my father. He's all in with a relentless pursuit. And that can be a good thing or a very bad thing. Uh, when my dad would buy into a concept or... Uh, a goal doesn't matter what it is there was not a thing in this world that I ever witnessed him get deterred by and so uh, you know growing up my dad was a very very uh, tenacious athlete he was um, you know he still holds state records in California and uh, and he took that 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 type of personality and uh, that was his life I remember watching my dad as a uh, young man I was probably 11, 12, and I went on a sales trip with him. And I watched him get up in front of 400 perfect strangers and own that, that entire presentation. 
and he had people just eating out of his hands and just absolutely adoring him. And it was something that I always admired of my dad, um, his ability to get to know people, his ability to talk to people, his ability to own a room. And uh, so it's something that I've always looked up to him with. Um, with that same type of personality, though, uh, I, am, I am very similar in that in some aspects. In other aspects, I'm more like my mother, who is very gentle and reserved. And, and uh, so uh, I am the only son and the oldest son. Okay, so I'm the oldest and the only, and so I'm my dad's only shot to have a an athlete. Essentially, is what he looked at, and I was pushed very hard. A male athlete. Yes. You have sisters? I do. I have four younger sisters. Okay. Um, I've got a couple that have played some college ball and you know and done stuff like that. So we we've got a lot of athleticism in our home, mm-hmm. but I was I was the one that he really focused on. Right. And uh, and he pushed and he pushed very hard, and uh, and it caused for some some rifts. And uh, so we had our, our ups and downs together. But it had a little bit? Oh, yeah. Strong strong personalities. They get along well, <laughs> don't they? A little bit of oil and water. Um, to, bring that, to bring that forward a little bit, uh, my parents ended up separating about 13 years ago. And the circumstances of that separation uh, were very difficult for me to handle. Um, you know, when parents divorce, as many do, you know, they try to protect their children of the realities of that divorce. Mine, as you know, a late twenties, you know, individual, the the circumstances of that divorce weren't necessarily kept quiet. They weren't uh, private. They weren't. I wasn't protected from those, right? As some of my younger sisters were, and so they were um, very open with why very open, divorced. correct? And so there was uh, there was a lot of um, contention between me and my dad, right? Uh, in so much that I I cut him off. I I cut him out of my life. And um, I completely separated myself from him for, I'd say, around 10, 11 years. Oh, wow. It was a while. And uh, I had gotten married. There was a little bit of a a comeback on that. And then some things happened, and there was some more separation there. Did So when you decided to, you know, start to have a relationship with your father again, was it pressure from your wife was it just you decided to what what made you decide to do that my uh my baby sister was graduating from Mountain View and uh, we learned later that my dad and my stepmom were going to be there for this graduation um my wife and I had not allowed for him to meet his grandchildren yet my son was I want to say three and my daughter was 18 months both very young but they had not they had not met grandpa yet and uh that was by design um, childish design. I uh, wasn't. Um, I wasn't open to a relationship, and therefore I was punishing my own children. Um, as a result, did your children? Did they have a relationship with their other grandparents? That's a great question. Um, their grandfather on the other side passed away prior to me ever meeting their mom. Okay, so they didn't have a relationship with the grand grandfather, but grandmas. Grandmas, they, they did. Okay, like, yeah. My mom and my mother-in-law are both very involved and and do a great job, you know, and they're they're a part of that. So I, I hate to keep stopping, but I I'm, I have questions about it. Um, <clears throat> so did they did they ever ask about their grandfathers or they did? Um, and uh, we would just play it off. We we would we would change the subject, do whatever you know. You're working with young kids, and so when it was dealing with your father. Correct. When it was her father, then oh, he passed away. He passed away. Grandpa died, you know, right. years ago. 
So you just avoid when it came to your. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was <laughs> it, it was just slipping the jab there pretty good. They, right. they'd, they'd ask you, and, and it would hurt when they'd ask. Right. Um, you know, when I was very young, I only had one grandpa. My my dad's dad passed away when he was serving his mission. And uh, and so I had a great relationship with my grandfather growing up. Um, he taught me a lot of fun things, and I right alongside him doing yard work and everything else. Right. And so you know there was uh, there was some bitterness there, and there was some hurt realizing that my children don't have a grandpa. You know, and lightly with my mom and with my mother-in-law. Come on, let's get married. My kids need a grandpa. Come on. Right. So they have one, and I haven't let them see him. And so we learned that my dad and my stepmom were going to be at my baby sister's graduation. And I sat down with my wife and we said, you know what, we need to make a decision. We need to support the good, ignore the bad. There's, they lived in Northern Utah, up, uh, up on the Idaho border. Uh, there was no reason to be fearful of them coming down and interrupting our happiness and what we did have going. Right. And all I asked of my dad, you know, he pulled me aside, why are you letting me see him now? And I said, well, I want to support the good and they need a grandpa. That's all it was. And I said, so long as we can maintain that, there's no reason you can't come around. Right. And so I had to let my guard down. Um, I had to allow my heart to soften a little bit to let him come back around. And that today, Lee, is the best choice I've ever made. Um, I'm going to try very hard not to get too emotional about that decision because had I not done that, I don't believe that the uh, transpiring events would have affected you like they have. Yeah. Um, I, I knew when I saw him at that point, that was the first time I'd seen my dad since I got married, you know, five years to the earlier. Right. And, uh, and I knew I could see that he was getting sick. I could see that there's something going on, not understanding what it was. He's very quiet and very private. And, uh, and my stepmom was very, she honored his wishes to keep his personal personal. He didn't have much of a relationship with his children. He didn't care to bring it into their world. Probably, and, uh, probably trying to protect you guys. Didn't want to. I believe burden so. You. I believe so. And um, and so we didn't know what it was. And I remember having a conversation with my wife, and then having a conversation with my siblings, their spouses, and my mother at a family dinner while the kids were playing. I remember distinctly remembering. I don't know that we have more than maybe four or five years with dad. And I don't know where that that prompting came from or what it was. And and the reality is, is it was accurate. We didn't have five years with him we had a little over four and that was it and uh so anyway if we're going to fast forward a little bit my uh my little sister had left for the mission field and got got out and she went and she was serving in japan and uh, everything was going well and she experienced some illness and uh, got sent home got better and we returned back to the mission field did and she go back to japan correct yes oh wow which is not common That's normally. Not normal, they, right. Yeah, so normally they send you stateside usually after yeah, that. Yeah, they keep them. They keep them closer. But for whatever reason, they sent her back to Japan. And, and uh, about the time that she went back and was out of the picture at the time, I get a letter uh, via email, and there were a few people CC'd to it. Uh, my dad's brothers, so my uncles, and uh, a couple of specific cousins who were his nephews. But they're his age. My dad was one of the youngest in his family. Right. And so the age bracket there. And, uh, and so in that letter, there was an uh, announcement saying, I'm an addict. I'm a sick person. 
and and uh, I'm an alcoholic, and I can't control this without help. And I remember getting this 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 sixth feeling inside, and I knew what I saw at my sister's graduation was that alcoholism taking his body over, and controlling him, and uh, and I'm I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to respond. You know, my my uncles and my cousins, hey bro, hey you know, uncle, we got you. We'll help you every way we can. We'll support you. And I didn't know what to do. He didn't send it to my sisters. Um, he's closer with some of my sisters at the time than me. And I don't know why I was included in that. But he didn't send it to them? He didn't send it to them. Did he not want them to know? Was that I don't know. I don't know. Um, and and it, it was it was odd. I didn't know how to, how to read into it. And I remember having a conversation with family. And they're like, well, what <laughs> do we do? What, you know, I mean, we... we He's 800 miles away. What do we do? And uh, and so the uh, the addiction got to the point where he, his wife, my stepmom, ended up having to have a separation with him. They they divorced. My dad, a man who had never failed at anything, has now failed his second marriage, and he is he is not doing well. His decisions and and his addictions have taken control of his life. And, uh, and like I said, he's all in. It doesn't matter what it is, good and bad. And as a result, it, uh, it led him down a pretty dark path. He spent some, some time in jail, uh, a couple DUIs. Fortunately, nobody was ever hurt from this. When, this wet, when, his, uh, when his second um, marriage was failing, I got a, a phone call from him one day, and he says, hey, uh, Jeanette's leaving me. I have nothing up here. I need to get closer to my kids. I don't have anywhere to stay, and I'm looking for a place for a couple of weeks while I get established somewhere. So to this point, I didn't know how sick my dad really was. I knew he was, and I knew I knew time was limited. That's all I knew. I'm like, well, he's never had a problem finding a job. He's a hard worker, harder than I've ever met. Um, sure, Pop, come on down. Come, come down and be with us. You know, my rules are you don't bring it into the home. And just be a great grandpa. That's all I need, right? You know, I don't need your money. Had had you talked to your wife about it? Like, did yeah, she know the was, situation? Yeah, this was a decision we made together. I told I told my dad I need to talk to Megan first. And uh, the hard part for me uh, happened shortly after he showed up and he was there and he had about two good, clean, sober weeks. Um, keep in mind that my wife lost her dad, you know, a few years prior. <coughs> And my dad filled a role in her life as well as in mine and in my children's. Right. And so while there was this, this very hard thing that we were dealing with, there was also very, very good times too. And uh, I'm so very glad that I was able to bring him into my home on the one hand because I regained a relationship with my father. Um, I regained some things that I didn't have, things that I was missing in my life. And had I not allowed him to come in, I'd, I never would have had him. My, uh, my kids gained a grandpa, and they naturally knew when grandpa was sober and not. And they'd keep their distance when he wasn't, he wasn't clear. Was he, when he was um, not sober, was he violent or not loud? Not at all. Or what, what? He was as happy and as laid back as you've ever met. Uh, the guy was just as chill as can be. Um, you know, and so he, he... Did you tell your kids to kind of hang back? 
We, I think or they, did just, they just. I just think they innately knew. And then we would we would remind them, you know, just leave Grandpa alone. He's not feeling well. You know, we didn't we didn't talk about the the ugly side of what was going on. Right. Not not with little babies. Right, right. So um, after about two weeks, my dad fell into a relapse, and it was a pretty hard one. Right. Um, my children. My children, you know, learned to avoid, and, and we dealt with it, and we worked through it, and I had to talk with them. I said, you know, last chance. I can't keep giving you chances, but this can't keep happening either. So was he actually bringing it into the house, he or was. was he just coming home drunk? No, no, he was bringing it into the house. He would uh, he would go over to the store. We had a Walmart not far from our home. Uh, he would never be able to get his car to turn on because it was interlock device, but he would go over there, walk over, get his, get his booze, and he'd bring it back. And he would typically do this while we were gone, so we never saw it happen. On a few occasions, he would do it, and we'd catch him and, in the act. And right there in front of him, I'd dump his, dump his uh, stuff out and, uh, and, and on things like that. But um, the problem with it was is, is he was excessive, not just an alcoholic. He would tell me openly, I just don't want to wake up. I don't want to wake up. So here I am um, trying to be the father role in my home and uh, having my father in my home, a person who I'm trying to repair things with, having to parent the parent, essentially. Right. And uh, it was hard. It was very hard. And uh, at a certain point, I, there was no respect given. And uh, no matter how hard I pushed, I couldn't get him to do we had a couple of incidences where we had to involve the police and uh, EMTs because there were, you know, we were far too gone at that point. And, um, you know, it, it got to the point where we were scared to come home. We didn't know what we were going to come home to. Right. I tried to tell him he needs to go and get into uh, behavior health. He needs some help. I can't give him what he needs. My father, as a living in my home, had more rights than I did. I'm sitting here paying the bills and, and providing for this family, but he had more rights than I did. I didn't know how to handle it. What do I do? I, I, I turn to people. I ask. I you know They're like, well, you have to get him evicted. Well, that's a month process. It's not something that just happens overnight. And, uh, you know, and so my dad was basically squatting in my home and living off my dime. I came home one day, and he had a large gash over his forehead. What happened? Oh, I don't know. I probably just bumped my head. Well, Dad, you're bleeding down your face. Like, this isn't little. This is big. You know, my kids see this, and, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to get this under control. So we got to take you to the doctor's, and I just need a Band-Aid. So, no, this isn't a Band-Aid cut. <laughs> this is a stitches cut. This yeah. is a stitches cut, <laughs> right. you know. And so I took him down to urgent care. Well, I don't have insurance. I, don't, I said, well, I guess I'm going to have to pay for it. I don't know what else to tell you, but we got to get you stitched up. This isn't going to work. And I went down there, and uh, I saw the doctor, and, you know, the doctor had a very frank conversation with me. He says, your dad's very, very, very drunk. And I said, I know. He says, we've got to stitch him up, but I don't know how well the pain meds are going to work on him. I don't, you know, we'll try. And I said, no, I can't afford pain meds. Just, just, just suture him. And I watched my father lay there on that bed and get stitches without pain meds, without a single flinch, not a single wince. That's how that's how inebriated he was. That's how bad and how drunk he was. Um, I was at a neighbor's house. We were having a game night with a neighbor, 
we came back. I found my dad laying in the yard. I watched uh, my dad try to start his car, couldn't, and he was laying halfway out of his driver's seat, passed out. He wanted to go get his, his, his drinks. Um, you know, there's some comical portions of it, but the reality was is I'm watching this man die in front of me, and I'm trying everything that I could do. Uh, at one point in time, I realized, you know, he is at a high risk for hurting himself, and I went into his room, and I, I took his gun, and I locked his gun away. Um, and, you know, he later told me when he was sober that that was probably the best move I could do because he was, he was ready. Um, so I was fearful that we, were, we never knew what we were going to come home to. If my wife had to leave while my dad was left alone, she never came home until I came home. And we didn't ever let the kids in the home until I was able to go in and check. And, um, you know, we, were, we, we had to take very serious precautions. We involved a lot of members from church that would come and scoop up the kids right away if we had a problem. And uh, we had a list of people who were ready to step in and help with our kids. You know, we're living, we're living in, a, in a world of fear, but we're also living in a world of unknown. I've never, been, I've never been exposed to this before. I've never been around these things before. Right. And uh, I didn't know or understand what uh, mental health problems really were. Did your dad turn to this after he got divorced from your mother? Or what made him decide to you know, make this choice? The, the best information I got from him was that, um, that, that after he never drank before, but after the divorce from my mom, it was a I failed thing. Right, and uh, this was a way Maybe to, to cope. Away. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was this was a coping mechanism for him, and and as a coping mechanism, as anybody would, oh, that makes me feel better. Well, I'm going to do more. I need to feel better. I I, I feel terrible, um, and it's it's shockingly how fast it can it can pick up and go, right, um, and well, I especially wa- someone that's focused like he is, someone that's that focus they put everything into everything no matter what it is right so and and it was um my dad i remember uh when we went in and cleaned out his room after he left he uh he had bottles uh, fifth bottles fifth size bottles of vodka that he would spike his drink with they were empty and they were everywhere he had cut a hole in the bottom of his matches some more stuff in them in there had no idea like, we didn't even know what to look for. And then when all this stuff transpired, um, that's when it happened. We, uh, um, continuing forward with the story, my dad, you know, we had left, and we had a long day. And my wife left early in the morning and hadn't come back yet, and I ended up coming home before her. And I was about 45 minutes prior to her expecting to be home. And I walked into the house. My dad wasn't there. My dad had gone across the street again to go get some more booze, and uh, I walk into the house, and there's a horrible, horrible smell. He had flooded the home because he had plugged the toilet, um, and uh, he, had, he had basically gone incontinent in the home and tracked it all through our home. So there was, there was feces everywhere, and we didn't know where he had gone, and I called my wife and said, don't even come home. Just, just don't even come home. And she's like, what now? And, uh, and I explained to her what had happened, and she's like, we have got to get your dad out of the house. I don't know what else to do. I love him to death, but we can't, we can't keep doing this. And so 
here I am feeling like I'm failing my family and to the point where I feel like I'm going to lose my family. Very right. real. And not because my wife is mad at me, but she's just trying to protect her babies. Right. We can't expose our kids to this. And so I went outside and I, I picked up the garage door and I waited until my dad came back. And we had our, our last two rock con- confrontation. And I wouldn't let him in the home. And uh, we called the police and we insisted that he is, he is not allowed here. And they were telling me that he is allowed here. This is his home. And whether you're charging him rent or not, it doesn't matter. He has a right to be here. You're going to have to be victim to make him leave. I said, well, that's not going to fly. I said, he is not welcome in my home. And uh, one of the sheriffs said something to me, and I don't recall exactly what was said. I took a step back, and I said, it's going to take a whole army to you. I hope you're ready for that. Don't you dare put your hands on me again. I about took a trip to jail that night myself. (laughs) And all I'm trying to do is protect my family. Right. And uh, it had nothing to do with I didn't love my dad, and I didn't want my dad to be healthy and safe. It was... I didn't know else, how else to handle it. You drew a line in the sand, and it's being crossed. Yeah, and it got crossed immediately, and it was crossed multiple times. And so um, I was able to push hard enough on my dad for him to admit that he needed to go to the hospital and get detoxed and get checked out. And then I immediately went down to the hospital, and I got a hold of uh, a behavioral health, you know, a, a state-funded counselor. And I said, he needs to be checked out. He is suicidal. He has said these things to me before. <clears throat> He's trying to drink himself to not waking up. He's trying to drink himself to failure. And, uh, you know, he was very frail at the time. And so he wasn't able to drink that fast and that much. He would just pass out. And so he, uh, you know, all this happened. My uh, dad went out to the Banner Ironwood Hospital out here in Santan because we lived out in Santan Valley at the time. And uh, in the meantime, he was there for a couple of days and getting checked out and cleaned up and, and better. Uh, sober. can not say better, but sober. Sober, right. And um, my dad was very smart. He, uh, he would tell them the things they needed to hear. He knew what they had to hear in order to be able to release him. So I'm at the house. I took some time off, and I'm trying to get things cleaned up. I've had to bring in a restoration company because I had to get my whole house cleaned head to toe because we had no idea I mean there's stuff tracked through the entire home um, the flood that he had caused in there we ended up having to do a bunch of drywall work and, and all kinds of stuff and uh, our insurance company ended up bailing out on us after they tore everything apart and uh, so we had a home tore apart clean how sterile how did they bail on you how did that happen they just basically said well this is what it is and now you're responsible for this well I had a bunch of drywall chopped out I said well if you weren't going to do this weren't going to help me bring this all the way full circle then why did you why didn't you say something and uh my insurance agent basically said well no this is just what it is i'm like well then what do i have insurance for i could have done all this myself right you know if if this wasn't going to be a claim that was accepted um it's like insult to injury it is it it really was it was a big old gouge got this wound and you're putting salt in it you know i asked you for help because i put you in place and it didn't happen so um, all these all these processes are happening. I get a knock at the door, and it's my dad. Um, he had ruined the clothes that he was in, and so he was walking around in hospital scrubs and uh, four dollar flip flops from from Walmart, and that's all he could ha- he could get. And so he came to the house, and he asked very humbly. He was very uh, 
very gracious to let me for me to let him in. You know, I told him, I said, you're not welcome in my home. You know, but when he left, when he came back, he wanted just to collect his things and excuse himself. And I said, that's fine. You can come in the house and do that. And he saw some of the mess and some of the aftermath, and he was so gone that he had no idea. And he was he was mortified. He said, let me let me clean this. I said, no, I've got people coming. They got to do it the right way. Just let's just get your things, and we'll we'll help you load up your vehicle. So we loaded up the few things that he needed, and he went and bought himself a few nights at a motel over by the Sunsplash over here okay. in Mesa. Now this is this is about three or four days before Christmas, 2017, and my dad had put himself up there. 2016. Uh, 17. Okay. Or 18 now, right? Am I yeah. missing something? I thought you said he, he died in 2017. Oh, it was 16. Thank you. No, you're right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I got to get my date straight there. I'm sorry. Um, so this was this was 16 coming into 17. And uh, and so I, I tracked down where he was at. And I couldn't get him to answer the door. I called welfare checks on him a couple of times with the police department. And uh, finally, we were able to get, you know, in contact with him. And, uh, you know, he seemed to be doing okay. He was just typical. He was, he was drunk and uh, with no help, nobody there. He had another cut on his neck from falling. And I, I said, let me help you, and he wouldn't let me. You know, at that point, he's not in my home, and he didn't want me around. He told me to leave and not come back. And... Uh, Christmas Day came and I called my dad and his phone had been disconnected. He hadn't paid his bill and uh, couldn't get a hold of him. And uh, Christmas Day came and went. A couple days later, he showed up on my sister's doorstep with a black eye, broken ribs, and uh, really nothing to his name. And he had been jumped and everything of value had been taken from him. So my dad is in pieces at this point and doesn't know what to do. And, uh, you know, again, let me remind you, all in. He, the man is all in. Even He wouldn't let fear or fear of the unknown deter him. He'd just do it. And uh, it was just fearless. It was, it was incredible to watch um, in many aspects. I mean, I, I second-guess my ability to do things on a regular basis. I, you know, I'm like, can I really get through this? Can I really do this? I don't care if I can or can't. I'm going to try. Right. And I'm going to do it. And uh, so he shows up on my sister's door. So she calls me and she says, I don't know what to do. And I said, you can't let him in. Do not let him in. You're a single mama. You cannot afford this. I know it's hard, but you have to stand your ground. You can't let him in. And so she called my mom and my mom showed up to try to help. And, and uh, my sister Jennifer ended up letting him stay one night. And uh, the, the commitment was, you know, we'll get you into a hotel you know, another night, but we'll let you get a shower, we'll let you get cleaned up, and then we'll send you on your way. So he slept on my sister's couch that night, and uh, and then the next morning, my mom put him up in a small motel down in old downtown Mesa at the night's inn. And you say your mother did? My mom did. Oh, wow. His divorced wife of 12 years, okay, and uh, and put him up in that motel and gave him a place to stay for two nights. And so he stayed the first night, did his normal. He went the second night, and he drank himself to the point where 
once again, like in my home, passed out and defecated, made a mess everywhere. And uh, wasn't waking up, wasn't going anywhere. Checkout came and went. They called the room, wouldn't answer. Housekeeping finally said, well, maybe he left. Went, opened the door, and here's my dad passed out and looks dead on the floor. And so they called um, EMT. Called the police. Yeah, they called 911. Scrambled everybody, and everybody showed up. And they took him in, and they got him into the hospital, and I get a phone call. This is where he's at. And, uh, and I learned that um, he, had, he had made an attempt on his life. And because, and I'm not sure even what, what kind of an attempt, I think he tried to, you know, um, I don't know how graphic I can be, but he tried to strangle himself, and it just, he was too drunk, and he passed out. So he ended up getting taken in, and they placed him at uh, Banner Good Sam in the Behavioral Health Department. And at that point, they wouldn't release him until somebody was willing to take responsibility and liability for him. They said, he is not healthy. We can't, we can't release him until. And I got phone call after phone call. Will you take him? Will you take him? I'm sorry, I cannot. And so I had to sit here with my dad begging me to let him out. I had the ability to. I wanted to, but I knew the very moment I brought him out, what's going to happen, same thing. Was it just you that they were contacting, or were they contacting everyone in your family also? It was me. Um, what, what had happened at this point, once all these things had started to happen in our home, my sisters who were coming around and letting him be around had re-separated from all that. They weren't going to let him come around uh, their kids and uh, bring that into the home right and so and in a mama bear effort they all protected their kids and uh, rightfully so um after all that had happened uh my dad said you know i need i need steven's number this is his older brother well my uncle is a doctor he's a bishop you know i'm like you know what i'll help facilitate this he can get him he can get him the physical help he can get him the spiritual help he can do he can do a lot of things and step in and help my dad that i can't this is his older brother. You know, I'm his son. Who, who am I to tell him what to do? Right. And, and that was a feeling that I had consistently. I can't, I can't tell my dad what to do. I mean, it was very awkward and hard to do until I would finally get to that point where I had to. I had to grit my teeth and tell him, no, stop this. And uh, so I got a hold of my uncle, and I said, this is the circumstance. And I spent a great deal of time on the phone with him, and this is what he's doing. And he's asked to get a hold of you. And I said, are you okay with this? He says, yeah, let me talk to your dad, you know. And so I got him, I got him hooked up on the phone, and uh, my uncle made a deal with him. He says, I will bring you here. I'll bring you back home. You can come stay at our home and uh, help around the house, you know, and, and we'll go get you a simple job. You don't need much. Just, you know, do the right thing. Well, um, the, the the one other thing that he did is he said you need to you know one one drink one drop you're you're going you're going in and getting help that was the agreement and uh, so my dad went there and and started drinking again and my uncle the good man that he is tried to hide it from me and made sure that we didn't know you know he said you know I I accepted this burden I'm not going to put it back on his kids they've already dealt with enough. And, uh, and so it was going on and it was going on and I saw some habits and I saw some consistencies in his text messages and his communications with me once he had headed out to California with his, with his brother. 
and uh, and uh, I, I had the suspicion, but then I'd call my uncle and I'd be told that everything's fine. And uh, this went on for about three and a half, four and a half months, something like that. You know, he's going out golfing. He was riding his bike like he liked to. My uncle has a large piece of property, and so he'd work that property. You know, it kept him busy. And uh, and I um, I'm at work, and and that brings it kind of full circle up to the the May 23rd of last year, and that was about 1:20 in the afternoon. And a mutual friend of ours, how we met, Steve, mm -hmm. he, uh, I was in the office and I was, I was talking to him and he had a meeting and I got a phone call from one of the drivers that I worked with and I had just got finished reprimanding this guy. I was hot. I was upset. I was dealing with, with some of these other things. I was emotional. And during that conversation with this driver, I get a phone call from my uncle and I ignored it and I knew I needed to answer that phone. I just knew it. I'm like, something's up. He wouldn't call me like this. My uncle doesn't call me. And I put it down, and I finished my conversation, and I sat there, and I, and I, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, okay, I need to call him back. So I closed the door, and I, I made a phone call. And uh, my uncle told me that my dad had uh, taken his life. And I was in shock. I didn't quite know how to handle it. I, I just quietly sat there. I started to cry, and then I knew, you know what? This is a man who hurt. This is a man who wanted out, and he found a way out. And the circumstances of it, he uh, he got caught by my uncle stealing some of his materials to, to get money to buy his booze because he hadn't made any money to this point. And, uh, and that's when it had hit, you know, okay, we're addressing this. And he told my dad, he said, Mark, we're, uh, you know, my wife and I, we got to go do this. We'll be back a little bit later. We got to talk about this. It's, it's come, you know, this is a problem. And so my dad went and got himself uh, one last bottle and drank as much of it as he could. And he went and he put himself in a noose and he hung himself in my uncle's garage. It's tough. And uh, to get called and told those things was very difficult. Um, yeah, they're very difficult. I, my uncle, who is uh, not a lot of nonsense, very dry, very direct, uh, very compassionate, but doesn't have a lot of softness to his delivery, he said, well, here's the deal. Um, we need to start working on you know, preparing for his funeral and however we need to do this and all these other things. And he said that he made it very clear that I was to be his executor and run his, run all of his decisions and everything was going to go through me. So I'm sitting there in my boss's office at work, um, not knowing what to do. And uh, getting told that all this has fallen into my lap and it needs to be done. It, the decisions have to be made if I'm unwilling to do it. My uncle would do it, but my dad made it very clear that he wanted me to take care of these things because I, I hung in there. I, held, I stayed with him as much as I could. So we, we started the process of, of uh, getting these things figured out. Um, I don't know how many funerals you've been a part of. They add up very quickly, Yep. and uh, they get very, very, very expensive. 
And I fortunately had family members and stuff that were able to step in and help significantly. And the majority of it ended up getting... Did he not have any life insurance or anything? Nothing. Everything that he had put in place had lapsed and it wasn't managed and maintained properly. So you, so you were responsible for the bill then also? I took on the whole thing. So prior to him passing all the expenses with our home, all the expenses with the doctors that I accrued, and then this happening, it was very, very, very overwhelming. Um, right. I, uh, I found myself in a very dark place. And um, the, the, traumatic, the traumatic part of everything is having to be very much involved with all these decisions with somebody who otherwise, on the outside, looked very in control of his decisions. He knew what he was doing, right? Um, and uh, it caused for a lot of hurt, a lot of anger. I was angry at family members. Um, I found myself in a very dark place. I didn't quite know what to do. Immediately after receiving a phone call from my uncle, I, uh, I interrupted a, uh, I interrupted Steve's meeting that he was having, and I said, I need you to come here immediately. And I, uh, I asked him to administer to me. And in there, there was a, a very direct, very distinct instruction of, you don't need to understand why today. You just need to be at peace with, with what had happened. And one of the hardest things I've had to deal with over the last, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, year and a half is not knowing why. Is it okay? Are things all right? And uh, one of the hardest, the hardest things to do because I want answers and I want to fix. That's, that's how I'm wired. That's how I'm cut. I want to make it better and I want to move on. I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on it. And, uh, and so my focus had to turn to healing my family, healing myself, um, and regaining that footing that I had lost because everything had slipped away from me. How did your family take it as far as your, your wife and kids and all that? Since they had, obviously they had a more, you know, a, a relationship with them more than your, your siblings did. Uh, my families. wife was crushed. My wife was crushed. In fact, my wife and I share the same opinion that if we could have just one more question with them, we'd want to know that he doesn't, he doesn't hold any grudge against us for this. Why do you think he would? I kicked him out of my home. I closed my door on him, but I had to. Right. I had to choose. I was forced into a position where I had to choose my wife, my children, or my dad. I couldn't have both. It had it had gone too far. I could not have both. And uh, and I had to, I had to choose. And I know today that if my dad was forced into the same decision. He would have made the same decision I did, you know. And if uh, he so, was forced into that, and so what makes you think that he'd hold a grudge then if he would have made the same decision? It's a fear of mine. It's a real fear of mine. I can understand that. I'm just, I'm just curious where, where you sit with it, where, why you, why you feel that way. I feel guilty. I can, I can understand. Um, obviously, you, you know, kind of my, my history too, and so. I can totally understand that yes. um, that guilt. Um, I, it's a it's a common it's a common thread when traumatic things happen. Um, that that survivor's guilt or the, the yeah. guilt that you feel. 
Um, so I'm just curious why you, if you figured it out, because maybe you could help me. <laughs> well, I, I'm still trying to figure it out because you know what? I have my good days and my bad days. Right. You know, when uh, we were talking about sitting down and chatting formally like this, you and I shared some pretty, uh, pretty common uh, or things in common that were, you know, two right. isolated different circumstances. Totally different circumstances, right. But very, very distinct similarities, too, as far as what we Similar reactions, right? Thank you. Better, better worded. Right. Yeah. yeah you know. I think, it's a, I think it's a common thing um, when a traumatic experience happens that these, these common things that we share, these feelings, the emotions, the, that that sort of stuff. I think it's a common thing when, when it's dealing with traumatic experiences. And I don't know, um, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose anything, obviously. Sure. But I know the things that I've felt, the things that I've dealt with, I, ha- I have PTSD. It's, it's a common thread in PTSD. So I'm assuming that it has something to do with that. I don't know, though. I'm, I'm no doctor. I can't. Right. Obviously, I can't. I can't say, hey, <laughs> Austin, you have this, because I don't know. Um, <clears throat> if I had to guess, I would probably say, but, you know, I'm I'm not, that's not my job. That's yeah. not what I, I'm not qualified to do that. Well, you know, the the big thing that that, that has happened with all of this is it, it has uh, both distanced me and brought me closer to, to God. And in some aspects, you know, I, I had the... I totally relate to that. I mean, I, I, I question why. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, wasn't I doing what I was supposed to do? Right. You know, and, and I know um, I listened to some of the other podcasts that you've had. Well, I'm doing the right thing. Why should why should this happen to me? Right. I'm sacrificing and I'm, I'm giving my resources to help somebody in need. Why should right. this happen to me? That doesn't prevent bad things happening. Right. Though. Right. It's not a medicine for that. Yep. And so you're referring to what I what I shared and what some other guests have shared mm-hmm. that you know you do the right thing, nothing but bad will happen to you, which is total false. In case anyone's wondering. Yeah, one hundred percent. But I I don't think I was ever taught that. It's just something that I kind of felt that that was the case. Did you ever feel that way? You know what? Growing up, um, uh, growing up the way I did, and in, in the household that I did, yeah, you do the right thing, the right thing happens to you. I've met people who say, "Well, I've done the right thing. I'm entitled to this. It's happening to me." I'm like, "Well, be careful with yeah. what you're saying." Cause, Buckle up, cause, Buttercup, because yeah, here it comes. Yeah, you're about ready to go for rodeo, <laughs> and uh, and it's not eight seconds. I can no, promise you that. No, and and it, it is it is long lasting. Right. You know, um, I've got some sisters who have who have expressed that they've had very special experiences where they have been told, you know, dad's good. All these other things have happened. And I haven't had those, right. I haven't had those distinct, everything's okay. Um, I haven't had the, uh, the opportunity to part of that can be because where they're at too, though. Um, and that may be, they also weren't in the heart of it. Like I right. was, they weren't dealing with some of the more, he wasn't staying with them and, having to deal with all the anxieties and stresses of it so so he passes on you have to put together a funeral do all that then what happens with what happens at that point so the funeral's all done he's he's taken care of now 
now you got to move on with your life. What what transpires at this point? How does your life go? What what's well? The I have acquired a significant amount of debt, right? And uh, I got dumped on my head by my insurance company to repair my home, and so I'm stuck trying to repair that. The memories and the things associated with the home that my wife and I worked so very hard for um, were tainted. They were soured. And so we made a decision to do a fire sell. We sold our home and we moved and, and tried for a fresh start. And we miss very, very, very dear friends. And we miss our home that we love very much, that we worked very hard for. But we've gotten a fresh start. And kind of erased the slate and started over. I found myself uh, working, uh, driving for a rideshare company, and uh, and doing that every weekend, and uh, and making as much money as possible. And I have found that I have worked myself out of that financial stress. That's awesome. Um, but that didn't eliminate the emotional and the spiritual stress that I was feeling. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't know what your experience has been, but. I found it's hard to pray. <clears throat> it's hard to it's hard to kneel down and just simply pray, right? Um, excuse me. Well, you feel like you got a raw hand, right? You feel like you got the short end of the stick, uh, right? I, absolutely. And that's that. I'm sure that contributes to it. You so know, it's not. I mean, what are you supposed to do with that? Yeah. You know. I, I mean, I don't have answers, man. No, I got, see, I I got my hoping, own experiences. <laughs> but, uh, We've talked about who has answers, and that's yes, not me. Yes, well, <laughs> and, and that's the thing. So, you know, I, I did. I felt like I got the raw end of the deal. I felt like I took on something that I wasn't ready to take on. Right. But some amazing things have happened of recent. I have, uh, I have learned, I have learned uh, that, that I have gained experiences that have brought me more closer to those who may be encroaching on these things, and I have become sensitive to it. Right. Um, people who are who are just dealing with the basic stresses of life, not even high extremes that that maybe you know people have gone through, but just very basic stresses of life. I'm highly sensitive to it. Just uh, this last week, I was driving to work at two in the morning. I saw a gentleman sitting on the overpass over the sixty. I was able to intervene. And, uh, you know, I remember us having a conversation about your experience. How many fatalities have you seen? Yep. And most people can't find that number. And I started no. thinking about it. And uh, how many near misses or suicide attempts have you seen? I've only seen the aftermath. I've uh, not very many. Yep. I've started thinking about that. That was my fourth post my dad's passing in a year. And uh, I don't know why that is. And right. uh, I can't, I can't, I can't put a finger on it. But it's uh, one of those things that I'm highly sensitive to now. Right. And, uh, and, I, and I, seem to, I seem to be drawn to it almost. It feels like it's, it's weird. But at the same token, um, you know, this has brought me very, very close with my family. My wife is my very best friend. And uh, she stood by me in some very, very dark times. And had I not been there with her, I mean, I don't need, I honestly don't know where I'd be today. If I wasn't married with my kids that they pulled me through, I have no idea where I'd be at today. How old are your kids? My baby, she is six, and my son will be eight in December. You have two kids. Two. That's it. Yeah. Six and eight. So six they're pretty eight. young. They are. 
do they do they have how has this affected them now like do they do they remember a lot or not so much you know what they remember the good things my kids my kids were young enough that i think they knew that that grandpa was sick and -hmm. that's about all they knew and then when grandpa was gone we surrounded ourselves with happy memories we talked about happy things good after uh, after my dad had passed um as a family extended family we decided that the circumstances weren't going to be talked about <coughs> and the uh, the answer why is because his heart was sick and he his heart you know, his heart stopped right and uh his heart was sick his heart was very sick and i so i don't feel that i've been misleading my children well, i just don't believe probably, something like they're this probably they're probably too young about. to have talked about it anyway when they get yeah. older and they, if they want to know maybe that'd be something to <laughs> share time sure you know just like young kids when parents get divorced it's probably not the best <laughs> time to give them details of why you're getting divorced right exactly it's the exactly. best time is when they're older and they can understand it more and so i think that's a wise a wise choice and at least i think you know looking on the the bright side of things at least they remember the good times with they had with their grandfather and yes you know that's a, a definite definite positive thing Yes. So, and coming from where they had no relationship with him at all to now having these memories that I, I don't know. Does does their do your kids' cousins? Do they have your your brother and sister's kids? Do they have or your sister's kids rather? Do they have these memories that your kids have? Or I mean, obviously they don't have the exact some. same ones, but some. they probably don't have as many, right? Right. Well, they weren't there. Right. You know, for, for all the rough times, there were also good times. You know, I would I would try to have my own makeshift interventions. I'd, I'd grab my dad in the mornings, I'd throw him in the truck with me, and I'd take him to work. He'd dry out, and then he'd come home, and we'd have an amazing evening as a family. And I'd do that as often as occasion would permit. Um, and, and those nights were very special. My kid was at the age where he had a game he wanted to play called Pie Face, a whip mm-hmm. ring on a little pie yep. and throw. You know what I'm yep. talking about? I know the game. Yeah. My dad is is a person who wouldn't wouldn't play games like that. He was never like that. But when he got around my kids, he became playful. It, isn't it funny how parent my how parents change when they get to be grandparents, right? They'll do different things that they never <laughs> they, would yeah, have done. never ever, right? So yeah, I totally, I yeah, I understand what you're saying there. So. So it's good they have those experiences. There's some positives that have came from it. Um, what what's some, what are some things that you've learned from going through this experience? You mentioned you're you know good at um, being sensitive to people going through things. What other things have you? Well, I think the learned? biggest reality is is and and the thing that I've learned is is that nobody's exempt. Big things can happen at a very moment's notice for any variety of reasons and and everybody's everybody's trial that they deal with whatever that burden may be is big to them right um i may look at it and say oh, i ain't nothing you you got it man you're okay and i and that's how i used to respond to stuff well you'll be all right right you'll be good don't worry about it today because a trial for you way. is different than a trial for me exactly or for someone else right and today my heart hurts for people when when I when I see somebody going through something big or small. Um, I genuinely hurt for them. 
I don't like to see it. And I want to step in and help where I can. I want to offer my support. If nothing else, I just want to be a friend. Right. And, and, uh, and, that's, and that's what's changed for me. I'm, you know, before I wanted to fix it. I wanted it. Well, it's all right, you know, we'll work through it. I'm more sensitive to those things, you know, and, and, uh, and I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think that um, it's given me the opportunity that I've had to get to know people that I never would have. Right. And I've learned a lot of things from that. You know, we talked about having somebody you can trust. I have relied heavily on a couple of people that I can truly trust. And that, is, that has been one of my large saving graces. I, uh, you know, we, we've got a mutual friend, uh, Steve, that, that I relied on him deeply i would sit there and pour my heart out in his office privately after work on uh many occasions and uh and he was there just to listen he's a great man he is he's a very very good man and uh and uh a great friend right you know i he was a colleague at first and he turned into a friend he's turned into a special friend you know and and uh and i was given great counsel by him you know He's a person who's also gone through a lot in his life yes. and has shared a lot of very candid but very helpful things. And, uh, and um, you know, it helped me realize that while I may be isolated in my circumstance, I'm not isolated in the fact that we're going through stuff. Yep. And there's people to work with, people to help, you know. And, and uh, We all have struggles. We all deal with our own things. Yep. That's something that I learned, too. Um, I struggled a lot in my situation with, you know, ha- having people, you know, I just thought I would look around and go, man, I wish I had their issues and not mine because <laughs> they're so easy. Yeah. But it, that's really not true because maybe they are for me easy, but it's not easy for them, you know. Right. And so I, I really had to work on that. Um, and I... I'm a lot better now because, man, when you get when you get put through the ringer, <laughs> you know, um, it really opens your eyes to some things if you're willing to learn from it. So, you know, it's uh, definitely, you know, a hard learning experience, but worth it in the end, I feel. For me, it was. Um Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you'll never be there. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've found in my experience that, you know, as as I worked through these hard times and, and these emotions and the feelings that I was having and, um, you know, and, and that's where you and my experience are different. You know, you didn't you didn't necessarily see the ramifications of what your dad, the end result of, I saw the ramifications of everything that happened in my experience. Right. And so I dealt with a lot of that, um, visual, um, anxieties and that side of it. Um, not to say that yours isn't (laughs) bad and and it's just different. Right. And so I had to deal with it a little bit differently than, than you have, I guess. Um, not that mine's not any I wouldn't say mine's any harder than yours it's just it's different right and so 
as I dealt with these things and learned you know, who I was, I guess, <laughs> relearned who I was, it helped me be, you know, more understanding and more, um, I, I guess understanding is the best word I have right now, yeah. <laughs> of, of people's situations, you know, uh, and so, you know, there's definitely things that we can draw from. So what are your, what are your takeaways from this experience that you had? Or are there any? Maybe there aren't right now. Do you well, feel like there are? Uh, there are. There, there are takeaways. And, and the biggest thing for me is understanding where I sit in all of this. Right. Um, I, I did not make <coughs> the choices for my dad. Right. And for a long time, I felt like I forced that hand. Um, I'm, I'm not there anymore. I, I wasn't there to make those decisions. My uncle, even in his own home, wasn't there to make those decisions for him. My dad made those decisions on his own. Right. And uh, that was a hard thing for me to, to, to understand at first. But the, the biggest takeaway for me is I have learned. I am learning. Better right. stayed. Learning. Better stated. I am You're still l- learning, right? <laughs> I, yes, I am still learning um, to to receive and be compassionate towards those who don't understand. Um, for example, I've I, I hate cliche statements, mm-hmm. you know, and we talked about this. I'm with some. you. I'm with you. Opposition in all things, <laughs> no. and while while that principle may be true, you know, it's it, very true. However, but when you don't have an answer, it's okay to say I don't know. Yeah. And and that's something that I was horribly, horribly, horribly sensitive to. And I had to be snapped out of that. I had to have that brought to my attention and learn that, you know, maybe it's kind of hard for people when they How hear did you something snap so out of heavy. That? Um I just I just walk away from it. I really don't handle it well. To be honest with you, I mean if I'm to be completely honest with you, um it bothers me. Mm-hmm. And it bothers me to the core because you know what? I know what I dealt with isn't so isolated that nobody else has. Right. But I also know that not many people understand the raw hurts and the raw things that that are going through me, through my family, and, and the things that we feel. And that's okay. I don't want them to know it. Maybe they don't understand exactly how you feel, but I, I think everybody has those, their own trials, right? Their own cross to bear. They do. And so some of us have different ones that we may deem bigger or smaller and, and everybody has that burden. But when you don't know, it's okay to say, I don't know. I agree. I agree with you. What I'm saying, what I was saying is, um, you know, to, to your statement, no one knows what you're going through and that true. They don't, they can't fully understand that because they're not in your situation. Right. Nor will they ever be. That doesn't mean that they can't understand pain and hurt and all those things because we all have our own and maybe theirs is a different cross that's hard for them it's not it's not your trials that they're going through it's their own right exactly you know yeah because i i could sit back and say well no one can understand this because this is what i went through how can you know know how can yeah and and so i don't think that's fair because um, I think everyone knows pain. Everyone knows 
disappointment. You know, everyone knows what that's like. Right. Um, and maybe not exactly what I went through. I'm talking about myself, not you. Right. <laughs> maybe not everyone knows exactly what I went through, but they can understand pain and and disappointment and and this anger and all the stuff that I went through. They can understand a portion of that. And that's where the danger part comes because I feel like because they think they can understand that they want to come back and, well, this is what worked for me. Well, you know, you're really not in my situation. And although it worked for you, it's, it might not work for me. Right. And that's where, um, you know, that's where I talk about the role of a, a supporter, some do's and don'ts. And I've talked about it in a previous podcast about it. You know, don't give advice <laughs> unless they ask for it. Yep. And do you kind of feel the same way about that? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. You know, I, I had, uh, I've, I've had people, well, you know, all oh, this sucks that it happened to you. I mean, I guess we got to move on. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, let's not broom it under the, the carpet yeah. too quick. I, I mean, th- these <laughs> are things that hurt and these are scars that cut deep right. and, and I'm processing this. Right. And, uh, and I, and I would, I would take those things very, very personal where the best of intentions were met otherwise. And, and it, it is hard to do. Now I have the ability to say, okay, you're right. I, you know, opposition and I smile about it and I move on. But the really, the re- really the fact is, 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 uh, you know, people do go through trials and I think it's nature and natural for people to want to help. And they want to feel good about right. helping people, and so I've had to, I've had to, as well myself. you do and I do, exactly right, and I've had to, I've had to wrap myself around the fact that this really is their way of of being compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, do I agree with it always? Not necessarily. It's, the delivery's not always the best, but the intention but the intentions is there. there, and I think this is where intentions, best intentions, just right. need to be acknowledged. Because I went, I went through a stage when people same thing, you know, all these cliches that you hear, you know, and I, it just drove me nuts because it didn't fit with what I was dealing with. Correct. (laughs) And so I, I started to hold grudges and I would start to dislike people because of this, this, and I had to stop myself and like, wait, you know, they really just want what's best for me. Right. Because these people that would, at least in my situation, the people that were, that were sharing these, this advice or these cliches with me were people that cared about me, you know, um, whether it was within the church or, or in my family or what have you, it was people that cared about me and they were doing it because they cared about me. They weren't doing it to like, you know, get over a buckaroo, you yeah. know, um, they really did care about me and, and it was something that they thought it could really help because it, it's helped them. Um, and so I kind of had to change the way I looked at it and like, well, the same thing, you know, they have good intentions. They're, right. they're trying their best also. I don't think anybody went into it, at least in my situation to, you know, maliciously hurt me or, or offend me right. in any way. I don't think that was the case. Did I get offended? Yeah. Was it a lot my fault? Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm a firm believer at this point that, you know, we have to 
choose to be offended. You know, I can say whatever to you. It's a choice. And you get to choose to be defended or not, right? Yep. And and so I had to choose, you know what? I'm not going to be offended by this because they have good intentions. They're doing it because they love me. And right. then and then give them, and then obviously giving them assignments would help too. <laughs> um, because that, in my situation, that's what it, it led because I didn't have anything for them to do. And so, so I think we're kind of on the same page we, with we that. We see that very, very similarly. Right. Yes. And also I, you know, I, I mean, my experience with my dad, um, you know, you, you've come to the point in your life where you said, I, I, I am grateful for the things that I've learned, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I grateful for the experience, my experience. I wouldn't want to relive mine. I don't either. But you know what? I can say that too. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what I've learned because I've learned a few things about mm-hmm. myself. I've learned how resilient I truly am. Um, right. Dealing with things that are, are very difficult. But, you know, I've also learned how to how to cope and how to re-pull myself back, recenter myself in, in a lot of aspects. A lot of it requires hard work, mm-hmm. distraction, doing the things that you have to do and... and uh, and, and and having to reprioritize those things, at least for me, um, I found that I was I was happiest being busy, yep. and being very busy. And and when I'm talking very busy, I'm talking 65, 70 hours at work, and then another you know 17, 18, 20 hours on the weekends working in Uber, and uh, just surrounding myself with people, you know, and uh, and and trying to laugh and trying to find a way to be happy. And then it, it, it eventually started re, re grabbing a hold of me, you know. When was the turning point where you went from, you know, being down at the, your lowest point after till you kind of feel like you're kind of on the up and up? The one-year mark. My, uh, what my changed? What, what, why then? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Um the, and I still, and I've asked myself that, why is it that I was able to make these decisions? Mm-hmm. I think I felt a need to just make a decision and, and accept things. Um, I had the opportunity to, uh, to go to the temple, which also I avoided. Mm-hmm. Um, to join with my mother-in-law, she was getting sealed to her folks. And... Uh, and there was very powerful promptings to me that that just helped me feel better. Um, in addition to that, I, I had to make a choice. I, I was fighting it. I needed to see things through my children's eyes. For my uh, for my father, his birthday's in February. They uh, they wanted to give him birthday wishes, and so my children wrote birthday wishes. And they stuffed them in balloons filled him with helium we went to the cemetery and we gave him his birthday wishes and then did you let him go or did you we sent him to heaven and that was that was our deal and that's what we were going to do every year we're going to turn that into a family tradition and uh my children don't see my dad with flaws they saw him as as a big happy person yep and uh while i'm aware of of the flaws and and the personality traits i've tried to just Focus shelter on them the other. Yeah. and shelter them from it. It's interesting that you did that uh, uh, prayers to heaven. The the person that uh, that I hit 
his family did that for many years. I would see it on Facebook that they would they would do it on on yeah. the anniversary of his death. They would go and do it. Yeah. And write and they would put it on Facebook, write letters and and post it on his Facebook page. Um and and I was like, man, that's kind of neat that they're doing these balloons and he put little notes in them and let them off at, at his favorite park that they yeah. would go to and play at, which was kind of cool. And then but I've never heard anyone else doing it. So that's cool. Yeah. It's a neat thing. We went down to party city and we got ourselves the biggest, brightest balloons. And that the did you do the, the shiny metal ones or did you do like the latex balloons? Latex balloons. But I mean, they were big. Yeah. They're beach ball size. You know? oh, so wow, we were able cool. to watch them for quite some time until they that's finally cool. drifted away. But, um, the kids loved it, you know, and, that's and cool. so, and that's going to keep, a, that's going to keep them with a good, something to look forward to about grandpa and, right. you know, so that's, I think it's a good thing. There you go. He was a good man. He, uh, he taught me a lot of good things. And, uh, unfortunately there is a, a very large disregard to mental illness Yep. and that has brought me. That's uh, why I started this podcast, actually. For mental illness, like yeah. the awareness well, for that? just for, I think, depression and that sort of thing. It's way too many people die, I think, um, without... When pe- I think too many people kill themselves because of mental illness. illness. Dep- and depression is one of those mental illnesses, right? Right. Um, you know, I waited through that for a lot of years and, and I was there, I was on the doorstep. And so I just think, and I remember what it was like. I remember I've, I've described it on previous podcasts that it was like, I was in a dark tunnel and it was just dark and there, and there was no light at the end of the tunnel. Why keep fighting, you know? And I think, I think that that's how, I think it's, it's a similar situation when people get depressed and and that that they have that same similar feeling that it's just not worth it there's no end to this it's there's an easy way out let's do it you know and i think that sharing my experience and other people's experience of going through hard things where you know maybe they didn't feel like there was a way you know some way that it wasn't worth pushing through you know they didn't think that they could do it or maybe they didn't think that it would ever end, but it does end. It just takes a lot of hard work. Right. And I think, so that's, that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast is because I wanted to, you know, share experiences that people have had, including my own, where they push through and they could, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. You know, there are dark times for sure. I still have them. Look, it's been eight years. I still have dark times. Right. Well, and, and I probably always will. I, and I don't, I don't know that uh, this life is ever intended to not have them, right? I mean, they're yeah. going to happen. We're we're human. We're natural. We're not. Right. We're not perfect, you know. And I'm pretty close, uh, but I'm yes, just joking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, we, we we all have those trials. We all have those things that push us and and push us beyond what we feel we can do, and uh, and and. You know, that was probably one of the harder parts for me to wrap my head around because I've never known my dad to fail on his intended effort. So good, bad, or neither, my dad wanted to do it. He he did it. Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand, 
I, I mean, I, I can't put myself in a position to understand what he was thinking and what he was feeling. I've tried. I've tried to, right. to wrap my head around that, and I can't. And that is not something that I honestly encourage people to do. It's kind of scary to, to put yourself through that process when, when you're not there naturally. Mm-hmm. It, it's frightening. It's, it is gut-wrenching. And, and uh, I, so I can't put myself in my dad's place. And, and uh, I can't imagine having to go through what he did and to make that conscious decision in the process in which he went through. And after talking to my uncle and the circumstances in which he found him and, and these other things, I mean, it was a process. He had, right. to, he had to set some things up in order to support himself and do that, and it wasn't easy to do. And, and, he, and, and so it's, it's, it's hard. It, it's, it's hard to understand it. And um, I, I think it's, I think that, that, that unknown is what scares people so much about it. Uh, I think far more people suffer from some element of, of, of some type of mental illness than we, we ever would imagine. Right. Um, and uh, a bishop prior to my current bishop now um, made a great statement one time shortly after we moved in, and, and I'm just like, you know, he said, uh, it's voodoo for a lot of people because it's not a physical element that you see. I break my arm. Mm-hmm. I know I need to go get it fixed. A mental illness is something that, that you don't see on the outward side other yep. than just countenance and, and how somebody's reacting to stuff and they're a little mm-hmm. grouchy. Okay, you know, take a chill pill and go get a nap. You'll be all right type of thing. People don't understand it. They don't, they don't see it for what it really is. And uh, that's a person who's broken in a certain aspect, and they need to get it fixed. Right. And it's understanding those things, but also being sensitive to them. I had no idea. I didn't even wrap my head around mental illness while my father was living with us. Like it, it just, I couldn't comprehend it. It didn't process for me. Right. And uh, so the takeaways from this is being aware of those things, being aware of people. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, our home is full of love and we laughter and happy and, you know, we don't have a, a doom and gloom home. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with the young, the young people in our home, you know, happy right. kids and, and my wife's a happy and supportive person and, you know, and, and I've surrounded myself with good people and, uh, and I've been able to rely very heavily on them. But I don't know, it's, uh, I, you know, that's, that's my story, you know, that's, that's what's happened and, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but. Um, I'm not through it all the way. I'm at a place today where I've got a pretty, pretty good hold, foothold on it. I feel like I've got a Buckle pretty up. good, right? Buckle up, right? Because it'll just happen again, right? And, <laughs> here it comes. You know, so I, you know, I'm not inviting more. I promise. Please no, please no. But you know, I feel like I've got a, a, a fairly good grasp on what happened, and it's still a process. I feel like you're dealing with it now. Yes, I'm managing it. I'm managing it fairly well. You know, but um, I've been drawn to people and and people's circumstances that I never would have before. Right. And sometimes those things are hard to hear and it's hard to be around, but they're also very heartwarming when when you see success stories. Mm -hmm. I, uh, when I first heard your story, Lee, it was, I was, I like, I remember where I was at when that happened. I don't remember the accident. I was actually in the hospital just getting out of surgery and and, uh, the same time frame. 
And so which hospital? I was at Hig uh, Banner uh, as a gateway over on Higley. Okay. And um, the freeway's backed up probably about there. Yep. <laughs> it was. Uh, I was in the hospital. I don't mean to bring light. I don't mean to treat but lightly, see, but. But see, I re- you know, and and I <coughs> I didn't know anything about it. I was so detached from everything. Cause right. I was fighting for my own life, you know, and, and I was very sick, and and uh, you know, uh, it just the time frames and and I've been in this community for a long time, and you know, I mean, I just I almost I almost felt like I your your story was very detailed. And uh, you you had all the elements there, and, and as a, a professional driver, I can appreciate what you 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 dealt with that day. Right. I can appreciate those things. I've seen some pretty some pretty. At the time, drives. that's what I was. I was a professional driver. There you go. And you know. I did everything within my training. So. And, and it still didn't help. It still didn't help. <laughs> you know. It still didn't help. Uh, <laughs> you know. Sometimes out of our control. So. But. I think that's I think that's what we need to. Uh, just remember is that you know what we're not in control of this of everything everyone makes their own decisions um you know there's a bunch of decisions that could have been made differently with my accident um my experience that would have changed the outcome of everything potentially there's a bunch of decisions that could have been made differently by other people could have mainly yeah and but we don't have the control of that we only can control our decisions and so you know it's uh, something that we get to deal with. So, but I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, it's been a, a great pleasure hearing your story, and and I'm grateful that you that you were so open about sharing it and willing. So, I appreciate it. Um, so, thanks for coming on with thanks me. For having me. Yeah, thanks for having it was, me. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Um, so, and uh, folks, look forward to uh, next week's episode of the Rough Road Podcast. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.